Hey, this is Jim Martin with the Little Things First podcast. And Tracy Vandeventer, and we are so excited to be here to talk with you today. We're going to be talking with Jessica Vidal, who is uh, traveling the country, helping schools become amazing. And we're going to let her introduce herself to you in just a minute. Thank you, and let's give her a call. There it goes. Ooh, it's really loud. How do I turn Hello? Jessica, it's Tracy and Jim. Hello. Hi. Hey, how are you? We're going to be up front with our listeners to say we made a mistake just a few minutes ago in that we tried to call you and get started, but we had an important component missing where we didn't plug in the cord to the computer to you know safely record. So I took a picture so I could post it <laughs> I- for, on our website. I thought that would be fa- fun for people to see. <sighs> That's so funny. Yep, no, so it's completely fine. We apologize that we gave you that false start. It's okay. But I'm going to still say Dr. Martin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I miss you. I miss you, too. <laughs> so, Jessica, we want to hear about you. We told our listeners sure. that you are traveling the country talking to or helping schools become better, become, you know, mm-hmm. amazing. And we want to have you tell us about your work and how do you go about that and what are some of the little things that make a big difference? Well, first of all, I love the title of your podcast because I think that oftentimes um, schools and organizations rack their brain on what are some things that they can really do to to change outcomes. And oftentimes a misstep is that um, people need to adopt new programs or complete, you know, completely overhaul their organization. That's just not the case. Oftentimes it really is the little things that matter that have the biggest impact. Yeah. Um, you know, so we work, like you said, with schools all over the the country. And uh, um, what we'll go in and do is first um, we'll do a needs assessment in the school and find out what are some things that the school is doing really well. And then what are some areas that may be presenting some challenges? Um, really look at what they already have in place and just start asking some good questions about what implementation has looked like with some of the things they're doing. Because oftentimes schools already know some of the things that they should be doing. Um, really part of the issue is how implementation is occurring and how they're, how they're checking on that. So can you, you know, we spend some time getting to know the school first. Can you share who you work with or is that like supposed yeah. to be a secret? <laughs> no, we work with um, many schools in North Dakota. So for schools that have been, been identified as needing more support and, um, you know, comprehensive um, school improvement, we'll work with those schools in the state of North Dakota. Um, we work with some schools. We're starting to work with some schools in North Carolina. We work with schools in Utah. And uh, we worked with some schools in Nevada. And um, we are now also working with schools in Wyoming. Now, and so we, wow. yeah. And so when we're saying we, who's who's the we? Because mm. it's not the Jessica Vidal Society, right? <laughs> it definitely <laughs> no, it, it is not. It's just not. It's not me and my dog Coco traveling around. Um, <laughs> no, it's um, I work for an organization called Ed Direction, and so there's a group of us that we're called improvement coaches, and uh, we'll go in and work together. Some schools will just work with one individual coach. Um, other schools will work with maybe a an improvement coach and then also a leadership coach. So we provide support to the teachers. We provide support to the school leaders. Um, we'll do some coaching with superintendents. Sometimes we'll work with really small rural schools where the superintendent has a, a dual role where they're not mm-hmm. only the leader of the district, but also they're the leader of the school. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. Yeah. I want to honor that because you actually have a very robust support system there. And uh, so I wanted everybody to know when you're saying we, you actually are coming with lots of tools and lots of resources available to be able to help schools make those changes. And because of the ways that you've been reaching out to lots of organizations and districts and and states, um, I love your insights in helping people see, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just these little things, this implementation or this um, follow through piece that might not have been taking place. So thank you. Thank you for letting us introduce. I just wanted people to have that wider view about all the work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, definitely not a one person show. That's for sure. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. And, you know, on that note, um, you know, it may be that I work with one school in North Dakota, but at the same time, um, there's a team of us that are working to problem solve. And Mm -hmm. so we collaborate with each other a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely a learning organization. Yeah. That's great. Hey, Jessica, so you said that you look at like the school's strengths. Um, Mm -hmm. If you could kind of talk about strengths in the aggregate, like what are you noticing schools are doing well? Mm, That's, that's good. Well, one of the things um, that always comes out when we do appraisals is that, you know, it's quite obvious teachers really care for the work that they do. You know, um, they, they care about their students and they want to do right by their students and figure out that the things that they can do really well. Um, You know, when I went to college um, and did my teacher prep program, you know, I was told that Bezos were bad. <laughs> that if you yeah. use a textbook, it's it's a bad tool and that you really should help kids to construct their own meaning, do literature circles. Um, um, kids will innately learn how to read, right? And I think we call that whole language. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, one of the things that we found is that um, a lot of schools are now purchasing basal programs. and They want to know how to use those better. I mean, there's some really great tools and resources mm-hmm. out there now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we, we find is that teachers do have a lot of great resources at their fingertips. They just need some help with mm-hmm. how to implement those. And, and, you know, those programs aren't written with a specific school in mind. They right. tend to meet the middle, right? So teacher's job, that's the art of teaching where you need to go in and see what is it that my kids need and then how am I going to leverage the resources that I have available to me mm-hmm. to help them meet their goals and and, and, and make some growth. Yeah. So I'd say to answer your question, um, definitely we find that teachers have the tools that they need. They have the the, the care, the the will, the drive, um, and and it's just helping to to bring teams together to to see that they can do great things as as a group. As you were going through that process, just to go a little deeper, because we are yeah. focused on some of the leadership aspects of that, um, I'm curious about what do you see that administration administration or administrators could be doing well in that appraisal? Are there things that you pop that pop up that you're like, okay, let's keep doing these things? Yeah, I think um, some of the things that we're finding are that leaders are really proud of the individuals that they have in their building, and oftentimes, you know, um, they're trying to find the the best and the brightest to work in their buildings to, to do what's best for kids. And so we're finding a lot of, a lot of motivated leaders that same thing with teachers, just, just want to do what's best for kids. And so, um, you know, some of the things that we're really seeing are that a lot of individuals, they're open to learning, right? They're recognizing that there's something that's not quite working right in their organization and they really want to know what it is. So very rarely do we go into a school and begin an engagement, um, and where, where people are put off. They, they're at yeah. the point now where they've been doing this for years and years and just something's just not working. They, they just want to know what, what it is so they can, um, you know, start putting in the work. And the other thing in too, is that <clears throat> oftentimes we'll go into a school and they've, they have the attitude where it's like, well, we've tried everything. 
and they're exhausted and they're tired yeah. and that's really understandable. And so it's, how do we find like what you, you know, how do you find those small things mm-hmm. um, that can make a big impact where we're right. not telling people you have to work even harder than you've already been working. That That's not the answer. Right. But Cause they have been working hard. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so when you go in, you're, you kind of do an appraisal, you're finding out maybe where there are some strengths, but then also mm-hmm. where there might be some gaps and then you're yes. coming back, you cycle through, do you have like a, mm-hmm. a routine that way? I'm providing the support yeah. for schools. So what we'll do is, um, we'll come in and we look at four different domains. I probably should have explained this. So we, um, base a lot of what we do on Vivian Robinson research with student-centered leadership. You know, I know a lot of people for the past five years have been talking a ton about John Hattie, but we'll look at, you know, some of his research. And then we'll also look at Robert Marzano, a couple other individuals. But we look at um, focusing coherent leadership, and we have some indicators in there. Um, you know, how are leaders using their 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 resources? Are they establishing school-wide goals and expectations? Are they providing and encouraging a safe environment, professional learning for their teachers? Then we'll look at intentional teaching, which is interesting because oftentimes we make the assumption that teaching is intentional, but um, we're looking at, you know, our teachers really using data um, to inform their instructional planning process, right? So we'll look at, um, you know, instruction, curriculum, data use. Then we'll also look at, and I I would say this is probably the most important one, we'll look at um, collaborative structures. So is there a school leadership team in place? Um, Are PLCs established in the building? Um, and then what do those meetings look like? What are they doing with the time that they have together? And then the last part is we look at climate and culture. So what does that look like in the building as far as not just the students and the adults, but also community members, stakeholders? Um, how are they, how is the school leveraging outside resources? So with those four different areas, um, we go in, we'll do um, assets and challenges for each. And then rather than giving schools a lengthy report, we do something a little bit different. Um, We'll actually give them a PowerPoint uh, to share with their faculty. Um, One thing we guarantee is that we give schools um, the the findings within a week. And then after that, we help them through how to share those findings with their faculty because it's very unnerving. Um, And we also do one-on-one interviews with teachers, right? So we collect all this information and they want to know right away, well, what, what did you find? What are you, you know, what are you seeing? And so that's kind of, that's how we begin the conversation. Well, these are the things that we see that you're doing really well. And these are the things that we want to focus on. And of all these challenges, let's just pick one or two to do really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not overwhelmed. That's good. Right. Do you find yourself in those four areas that there are typically the same challenges in each one? For instance, I didn't phrase it well. Mm. The idea that like, you know, we almost always start with the collaborative structures or we tend to always have some challenges in the intentional teaching. Is there some patterns you see within our nation and the work you're doing where you have the biggest leverage? That's a really, that's a really great question. And I would definitely say that classroom instruction is definitely one area that we, that we look at specifically with student engagement. Um, oftentimes, uh, especially in, in rural areas where there may not be as much access to professional development, um, we're finding that there's a lot of direct instruction going on with a lot of teacher talking and not as much student talking. So we, you know, that's one area that we really coach teachers on. And we do classroom coaching. We'll, we'll go in and side-by-side work with teachers. Um, the other thing that we're finding, too, is um, that there's teachers do have PLCs in place or some dedicated time 
but the time is not really being maximized and teachers don't really know what to do at that time. So oftentimes it's a logistical meeting, you know, mm-hmm. who's doing recess duty next week? Mm-hmm. Um, who's, When's our field trip coming up? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are some common, common things that we, that we see. The third thing that we also see is with leaders not leveraging their, their school, their teacher leaders enough. So how can you bring in those teacher leaders so that you're not bearing the burden of all the decision-making, but rather how are you building in some shared leadership structures? And I would think so. that when you start expanding that and bringing in some teacher leaders, you're going to find that you have a little more buy-in because that teacher voice is respected by peers. Do you, do you see that? Yes. Okay. And so I, I've heard this from, you know, multiple people. I've listened to, you know, some of your podcasts and relationships are huge, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, teaching is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it's underpaid. Um, it's a hard, hard job, especially when you're in highly impacted communities and you start, um, you know, working with children who have a lot of needs beyond, beyond the school walls Yeah, and they bring that to school with them. And, and, you know, you want people to enjoy coming to their, their quote unquote, their job every day. Um, if you're coming in to your work and you feel like people are, um, just consistently telling you that you're just not doing a good job and you just need to work harder, it, it burns you out. Yeah. You know, so we want to celebrate those little successes and help teachers feel good about what they're doing and help them feel honored. And that's another thing with helping leaders understand you got to take care of your people. Yeah. You you really do. That's critical. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Take care of people. Can you give us a couple of examples? (laughs) Again, it's just like little things. Yeah. And I know that uh, I was talking to some teachers in my building and uh, they said, um, gosh, you know what? I'm still holding on to some notes that my previous principal had given me. Right. And it, they, they weren't like big essays. They were just a little note tucked in their box and given to them and meant a lot for them to be recognized. So that's a, that's a little thing, but that teacher is still holding onto that and has that, you know, taped on her wall or on her desk or something where she said she can see it all the time. So what, what are you seeing or what are some different ways? Cause I think we're always looking for ways to help teachers uh, and lift them up. Yeah, I think, you know, I have to give a shout out to somebody that I worked with before, and it's Valerie Bergera. And she was a principal in Salt Lake District, and she now works in in Granite District. And I have to tell you, I learned a ton from her. And um, I was her assistant principal in Salt Lake, and we would spend a lot of time thinking about that very thing. Mm -hmm. We're sensing that our teachers are feeling low. How are we going to lift them up? How are we going to to help them? And a couple things that we did. One, I, I know it sounds so generic <laughs> and we all do it, but, um, you know, putting just a tiny little, um, thank you know, in their box. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe something unexpected. Um, we spent some time figuring out each teacher's like, what's their favorite treat. And so we'd make sure that we went back and looked at that. Cause oftentimes we do those surveys at the beginning of the year, right. right. And no one ever wants them. Right. So we actually <laughs> would like, we'd say, yeah, you know what this, you know, Kimberly likes, you know, the little Andy's mints. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go put some in her box and say, hey, thanks. You, you've done a really great job this week. Or, And the other thing, too, so simple and it's free is bringing laughter, yeah. laughter and joy to faculty. I mean, making faculty meetings fun. Um, we would really, you know, give away just tiny little things. And it even doesn't cost money. Just recognizing yeah. different people and making that a safe environment. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, just like you said, too, like leaving teachers just little notes of appreciation because those those little things, those are the things that really matter to people. They want, they want to feel like they're appreciated for the hard work that they're doing. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say that's critical. I remember the cowbells at the, <laughs> at the faculty meetings. 
You remember what's, those? Yeah, what's, what's going on with cowbells? <laughs> oh my somebody gosh. showed appreciation. I'm not sure why you did cowbells, but it was really fun. Oh man, like I think it was when we would give a shout out to somebody. So I, I, um, <laughs> so I play as hard, just as hard as I as I work, right? So I do a lot. I do a lot of those Ragnar style races okay. uh-huh. and all those things, right? And so sometimes with your race packet, you get these these cowbells. <laughs> so we had one, and we're like, yeah. Every time someone, I think it was every time someone's doing well or they did well on an interim assessment, we bring bring that bell or just give a shout out. We put them out on each table, and the teachers would ring the cowbell too. It was the, it was <laughs> yeah. a Funniest I thing. That. It was great. It, it really yeah. changed the part of the laughter dynamic. and joy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I yeah. have a question about um, so you talked about PLCs can be, um, you know, there's often the dedicated time, but teachers don't know yeah. what to do with that time. And I think that um, what I keep hearing from teachers is well, we want control of that time. You know, we want to be right. in charge of that time. Um, so how, as a leader, like what kinds of small things are you recommending in schools that can help teachers to gain more control over the PLCs and still have them be content rich? I just read an article yeah. that um, about how, you know, just putting teachers together to do a PLC probably won't amount to the kinds of conversations that we're really looking for in PLCs, which... I'm just yeah. struggling with that. You know, like we want teacher leadership and at the same time, it seems like mm-hmm. when you kind of turn over PLCs prematurely to a group of teachers that it doesn't amount to what you want it to amount to. Can you yeah. help us with that a little bit? Sure. So I think, <clears throat> and I guess I keep going back to, to Parkview Elementary in Salt Lake because we had a lot of success. Um, we actually worked with, with that direction, but you know, it's a really, it's a careful balance, right? Like, it, you know, what does control look like in a meeting? <clears throat> and one of the things that we had learned um, with some of the work that we were doing was effective meeting practices. So before we talked about the what of the meetings, we actually started talking about the how. So the first thing is, you know, establishing norms, right? And norms are those things that people kind of roll their eyes at, right? right. Um, they're cheesy and right. then, you know, but we had to make a commitment that we're going to establish some norms and actually follow them. Yeah. The second thing was we started talking about the fact that we're going to look at data in every meeting. Like there are going to be data-driven meetings, whether it's implementation data, like how someone's using a strategy, or we're looking at some sort of data. Um, that's student achievement data, right? The third thing was that we're going to talk about, um, let me see, intentional, um, using protocols. And this is why I, I bring this up, right? Like, we talked about using protocols in meetings because teachers want autonomy in their meetings, but at the same time, people want to know that they're going to leave the meeting with mm-hmm. something useful, mm-hmm. that they, they learn something from their time together and they have a product or something in their hand or something and they can take back to class or some sort of new learning. Um, and so we really push the use of protocols. And at first, they feel very um, restricting. Sure. Right? Some of the comments we hear from people are, well, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm feeling like I'm being told what to do. But at the same time, once we get teachers understanding the importance of protocols and how following specific data analysis protocols can be useful and they feel the positive effects of, of gleaning new information from their time together, they, they really buy into the use of those of those protocols. And so I would say, you know, letting teachers have some choice on what data do you want to discuss this week that's meaningful. Um, you know, what do you, what do you want to get out of your time together? What are your objectives and what objectives are you setting for your meetings rather than telling them, you know, these are your objectives, these are your norms, but helping them to, 
you know, or this is the protocol you want to use. Um, giving them those choices and with, with some parameters, like, you know, how are you going to, to, to set that time um, up for success in, in your meetings? What um, protocols have you found to be most successful? Mm. Can you describe so there's one? one? Yeah. So there's one where it's assessing common short-term data, right? So, you know, some CFAs, formative assessments, whatever the, the term people want to use, right? So we say, okay, you as a team are going to talk about what are your learning intentions for the week? What's your success criteria? Um, and you're going to bring, collectively, you're going to bring some data to your next meeting. So collect that data. Let's bring it. And then before they come to the meeting, the important part is that they're going through and looking at how many kids, you know, got it, how many kids almost got it according to the success, success criteria, and then how many kids not yet. Mm-hmm. Bring that data to the meeting, and then we're going to talk about our percentages within those three areas. And then we're going to talk about people who are successful. What did you do that was successful? And then areas where maybe the students were struggling, you know, or the lower percentages, why did that happen? So you're taking the shift off of, you know, um, the individual teacher necessary, you know, and you're looking more at the students and the student work. And so then they start discussing within that protocol, you know, we're going to set aside five minutes to talk about what you did that work. And now we're going to talk about, great, this is the new learning that, that we've received from these results. Now, what's the next step that we need to do? How are we going to reteach this? When are we going to reteach this? You know, and what's that going to look like? And then setting aside some um, time to commit to some actions that you're going to leave with. So, so is that all part of that same protocol of assessing common CFAs? What you yes. just described would be all part of one protocol. Yeah. So we have to train teachers with that and provide some professional learning yeah. with that protocol. That's one of the more complicated ones. Yeah. One of the easier ones, I think both of you are familiar with too, is the, what do you see? What do you make of it? Mm. You know, first you bring some data to the meeting. Everyone's going to go around and you're going to go round the horn and have a chance to say, this is what I see in the data. After everyone's noticed what they just strictly, what they, what they observe in the data, staying low on their inferences. Now we're going to go through and say, okay, now what do we make mm-hmm. of the data? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, you know, we want to move away from that problem admiration into more solution oriented and student focused. And that's where some of those protocols really, really help. I love that. And how do you keep um, uh, PLCs timely? I mean, that's one of the things that we find <laughs> yeah. too, is that, so, you know, like, we get together maybe on Thursdays, every Thursday as a team, mm-hmm. and um, what we struggle with a little bit um, in my setting is that we come with data that has already kind of passed. You know, like we've already uh, we yeah. gave the, the we gave the CFA, and people have kind of moved on to new topics, and now we're sort of looking at a standard that has already kind of gone by I guess we could go back and catch some kids that we missed and that's important but it seems like sometimes it's hard to keep up because we don't meet often enough and there's just no way to meet probably more than once a week is there and that's a I don't know that's best case scenario it's like we've had time you know building a master schedule is tough yeah (laughs) building in that time is hard and once a week we're excited when we see that teams can meet once a week that's a really good point though you've got to bring in some timely data and respond pretty quickly to the data if you collect data you maybe you miss a plc because of a weather day and then come back again two weeks later it's almost like an autopsy right like you've you've already administered that assessment you've moved on and so you need to make a decision as a team, you know, what's the most relevant data that we're going going to look at. So you've got to make a commitment as a team that if we're going to collect this data, we need we need to look at it um, 
you know, pretty soon. Yeah. Um, the other, so as far as adhering to, you know, to that, you know, more global time, you know, timing is pretty critical. So it could be that rather you're going to talk about some successes that you had with the data and what lessons did you learn from that, that you're going to apply to future teaching. Right. So mm. that's where you can also talk about instructional strategies. You know, this is what really worked and I'm going to use this strategy again. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think for us, we've been struggling with finding the balance between the review of the data and making some plans for reteaching. And then also that lesson planning, what's coming up, because going back to your thought that we really want to this time to be meaningful and mm -hmm. that they leave with, right, something that they can use, something that right. has helped them. And we have found that that common planning really helps us tap into the expertise of teachers and, mm -hmm. and what their knowledge is and sharing that. But um, I'm curious for you if that is that kind of a recommendation that you would try to have a little bit of review of data and a little bit of that planning in there? Or do you sometimes yeah. trade and one time it might just be data and another time it might be just planning? Do you ever see that? Yeah. And I think it goes back to what Jim had asked, you know, and, and, and talked about with control over the meeting, you know, what's going to best serve your students and then what's going to best help you um, as a team meet the needs of your students. So it could be instead of looking at your, your assessment results, you're talking about, okay, this is our learning intention, rationale, success criteria. Mm -hmm. What assessment do we want to administer to check to see if kids are, um, you know, meeting that success criteria. So let's plan an assessment before we even give it. Let's talk about what mastery looks like. Oftentimes we collect data and we haven't even talked about what does mastery look yeah. like, right? So then all of a sudden we're starting to create this move, this moving. You know, oh, look, you know, you know, Joey did a really great job. So that's now my my three, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe Joey, according to success criteria, would have actually gone a two. Yeah. So you take that time and you plan ahead, like what Jim was saying. If you don't have the time, you know, to look at data in a timely manner. Maybe you want to spend some time really thinking about what success looks like and how you're going to, um, as a team, collect that data. Yeah. So that pre-planning process mm -hmm. that helps you do your first instruction better, um, yes. the data can inform yeah. that as well. That's for that's sure. Smart. So I'm curious. Dude, we had a. Oh, sorry. Real quick, we had a training, and I think both of you went to it several years ago with Paul Bambrick Santoyo. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. It was about creating exemplars, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that was probably one of the most powerful professional learning sessions I went to. You know, for my own my own learning, and really helping to share that with teachers. Like you know, like what you're saying, Jim. We want to get it right the first time with instruction, right? We don't want to always be intervening and remediating. Um, but, you know, how can we make sure that we're using our instructional time wisely and planning it? And I think developing assessments and planning together can definitely help with that. Yeah. So I'm curious then going back to that, you're giving them, you know, chances to make the choice about what their meeting is going to look like, but you've got protocols available that they can use. Mm -hmm. Do they leave the meeting uh, deciding what the next protocol is going to be or do they decide that at a different time or do you have like a regular cycle? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So the four meeting practices I, that, you know, I was kind of blanking out <laughs> for a minute where, you know, we've got intentional, you're setting agendas, mm -hmm. protocols, norms. Mm -hmm. Then you've got your data-driven, you're, you're being data-driven. Action-oriented is is the third one, and then reflective. So within action-oriented and reflective, those two pieces, you're saying, okay, before we leave our meeting right okay. now, let's talk about for our next meeting, yeah. what data do we want to look at? If we want to use a protocol, you know, what protocol are we going to use for that? Who's going to be the facilitator? 
who's going to be the timekeeper. And then once teams get more reps with that, they become quicker at it. Sure, so the sure. first couple of times feels clunky, but you want to leave the meeting knowing what the expectations are for the following, for the following meeting. Oftentimes when we have a teacher, that's the team lead. This is above and beyond their regular teaching responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to maximize that time in the meeting to say, set aside five minutes to decide yeah. that before you walk out the door. I love that because I feel that that helps. If nothing else, I know what I need to be ready for in the next meeting. And that also builds some efficiency there. For sure. Do you, for sure. We want um, to make this easy for teachers. Do you recommend that um, principals sit in on PLCs or coaches and what role do they play? I'm curious yeah. about that because... Well, I, I'm an instructional coach now and Tracy's a principal, so, you yeah. know. Do I get um, to go or does Jim get to go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think well, I think that it's a missed opportunity if principals miss PLCs, right? I think that instructional coaches are key to being in those meetings as well because um, they can serve as a resource to teachers as they're they're talking about how they're going to implement different practices they're discussing. Now, we know that, you know, if you have, He's calling me the runners or squatters, right? <laughs> You've got those those students that you get the call on the on the radio, <laughs> and it's, hey, uh, you know, Dylan is left the classroom again, right? Yeah, yeah. Then you, you begin the search for Dylan across the building, or you know, you know that Jeremy is hiding under a desk in the hallway, but <laughs> is he safe? Yes. So yeah, yeah. All right. So there's times where you get pulled and you have to, you know, address some situations. But I would I would make the case that. That's one of the most important times, uh, valuable times that principals and instructional coaches have with their with their teachers. Yeah, and I really would say you know you're doing it right as a leader when you don't have to say very much. Yeah. It's really tempting in meetings, especially for a chatty Cathy like me to pipe in and <laughs> you know give my input because I get really excited. But at the same time, they need to sometimes grapple with through some of those issues, and that your role also as the principal is to be a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some schools where they have the you know, I, I don't want to call it a luxury, but where if there's an assistant principal, it's nice where you can kind of split up those teams and decide mm-hmm. who's going to go to which ones and support them. Um, but I, I, I would say yes, they they definitely should be attending. If you never attend your PLCs, you you start to lose touch with what's going on instructionally yeah. in your building. Yeah. Hmm. Hey. So, oh no, you go, Tracy. I was gonna. This ask is you. the wrap up question, Jim. I know. Are you ready for the wrap up, right. or do you have I one know. more you need? Uh, okay, I'll ask it because Tracy usually asks it. So okay. what um, if you were to give yourself advice as a younger professional in education, yes. um, you know, travel back in a time machine, um, what would you say to your younger self? Hmm. I thought I've been thinking a lot about this. And uh, I think it's, you know, I tell my younger self go slow to go fast. Mm. You know, you're, I would say, especially as a, as a, as a very beginning administrator, right. You come out the gates and and you're ready to go and you hear things, <laughs> you hear things in meetings and you think, Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe they said that. I need to I need to jump in and correct their thinking. <laughs> and I would say, the, you know, there are times you have to say to yourself, you know what, everyone's entitled to their voice and their opinion. You need to let the, you need to let them voice it. And it's not your job as an administrator to correct their thinking necessarily. Right. Mm. Just, just listen to people, let them feel heard, let them voice their concerns. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if that sounds, if that sounds negative or bad, but I think, you know, getting my admin license about, man, it's been about 10 years and, you know, you come out ready to 
change things and stir things up. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I think there's a lot of value to saying, listen to people who've had some experience and who've been in the trenches who have been doing this. They've got a lot to share and you've got, you've got a, there's, if you really take the time to listen, um, it goes a long way. Yeah. I read something recently that um, you should let leave at least three things um, unsaid every day that you wanted to say that you were, you know, prompted to say, but that you, yes. and maybe there's more than three, but you know, just, I, I'm trying to use that as a guide. Like I should say this, do I really need to say this? So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So true. That's the thing I always, I started asking myself to a meeting two things. One, I bring a notebook with me. So when I feel tempted to say something, mm-hmm. I write it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two That's is, it. is what I'm about to say going to add value? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. And it reminds me just a little bit too of some um, something I've read on psychological safety where yeah. uh, when you're reviewing, right, the meetings or the time together, you want to know that you've heard from the dissenters. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't really created a space that dissenters can speak, right, and and share their ideas, you maybe aren't getting the full picture. So right. I like what you said because in that – and that simple act of sometimes holding your tongue, uh, you've created a safe place for people. You've been able to hear different voices, uh, and it allows everyone to be an important part of that community. So, yeah, kudos. Right. Kudos. And I would you. say the last thing to that real quick is just to educate. No one falls asleep at night thinking, how can I, how can I make life difficult for others? Yeah. How can I, how can I ha- help, you know, how can I make school boring for children or, you know, that's I really want to fail my kids this year. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, everyone has good intent and you just have to remember that we're all here for the same purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just to, to honor people's love of kids and, and help them through things and coach them through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. You Wait. brought in some really important insights. So we haven't dug very deeply into PLCs and I think it's something that is present in our building and it's a little thing that we can tweak to build effectiveness and efficiency within the work that we're yeah. doing. So I appreciate you willing to go a little deeper on that. But wait, but do wait. you have a, a North Dakota accent yet? Have you per- perfected that? Oh, sure. That? Come on oh, now. Yeah. You know you got that there. Oh, yeah. I come back from North Dakota. Oh, I love it. Really I hope we heavy. don't annoy <laughs> our you know? North Dakota listeners. I don't know if we have any, it, but you know. It happens, Jim. Like we'll come back and catch each other and say, you you were in North Dakota, weren't you? <laughs> so okay. Now wait, I'm from Minnesota and I think that it's yes. super important that we honor that everyone is just saying the same thing, just in a slightly different way. I love it. <laughs> it's I perfect. Love it. So Thank perfect. you, Jessica. Thank you. I hope, hope you both have a great day. Yeah, yeah you, too. you too. Talk to you later. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.